Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. So I hope everyone is doing well and is happy with what is happening in your life right now in the office and in January. So I'm going to continue with the same kind of theme that I was dealing with last week where I started with ICD-10 and looking at some denials about the code first. Well, I wanted to talk about a specialty that's near and dear to my heart, and that is cardiology. So for those of you that are not cardiology coders, hopefully you'll still find this insightful because who knows, you may move into that specialty. Uh, If you're primary care coders, you'll see this on occasion, but it's, I mean, it's a, it's a cardiology based um, discussion, but it doesn't mean that that's all you're going to, you know, ever see this in. So I want to talk about the elevated troponin in ICD-10, because a lot of times we see this uh, on generically on a physician admit or, um, you know, on an admit sheet for a patient. And that's all the doctor says. So we see physicians documented, and I'm air quoting, elevated troponin levels, and we don't know how to code for it. So we want to make sure that we are we know what it is and that we're coding it correctly because there's some, and I hate the word misinformation because it's all they talk about on social media, but politically, this is not politically. Um, this is just uh, maybe misunderstanding of what it is. So let's let's kind of jump into it. So first of all, what is troponin? What does that mean? So there are three types of troponins that are detectable after heart muscle damage. So troponin um, I, which capital I, I actually thought, used to think it was one, but it's called CTNL or CTNI, unique to heart muscle. The troponin T, capital T, CTNT, exists in other muscles, but also the heart. And then troponin C, CTNC, a binding subunit of troponin. So troponin is actually a protein that's found in certain muscles. And when certain muscles are damaged, more troponin escapes into the patient's blood. And so there's always a small amount circulating in a bloodstream, our bloodstreams as well. It's usually undetectable. But when this increases or elevates, when it means that there's been damage to a certain muscle. So the higher the level of troponin I and T, this helps determine the severity of heart damage because these are particular, or I should say, um, they focus on the heart. So an elevated troponin, though, does not always mean that there's a heart attack. Sometimes the physicians will say that and there's an assumption made that there was a heart attack or something to that effect. The physician will use the levels as well as clinical symptoms and the overall history on a patient, so their clinical profile. When due to a heart attack or damage, um, the troponin levels increase within 12 hours and will peak around the 24-hour mark. And then sometimes these will remain usually around several days before normalizing. Um, you, a lot of times you'll also see this as acute coronary syndrome as well. So does elevated troponin mean heart attack all the time? Again, no, but here could be a few other causes of an ele- elevated troponin and this will show up in testing and should also be part of the medical record so that you can differentiate between the two. So the patient may have fallen and laid on, on the floor for several hours. Uh, it also can come from extreme grief or stress. 
Um, here's one exercising too often. I don't know if you knew about that because that means you're working the same muscle group every day and you're overworking it. Uh, it does happen to a lot of chronic kidney disease patients or ESRD patients. So end stage renal disease, uh, recent heart surgery that patient may have ele- elevated levels, maybe a pulmonary embolism disease of the valves of the heart, congestive heart failure. Yes, they'll see that. Um, you might have sepsis. So if there's an extreme illness there, Um, Irregular heart arrhythmias, especially if the patient needs a cardioversion, you'll see this being extreme elevation. Uh, Angina or coronary spasm, cardiomyopathy, inflammation, and you might see the words myocarditis or pericarditis. Um, High elevated blood pressure, that means usually a crisis. So typically your um, diastolic is going to be much higher, almost by 20 points than what's typical. And then you might see drug use such as cocaine or methamphetamines, certain medications, and then obviously trauma would also um, be an issue there. Now, there are many reasons why a physician may order a troponin level test, but the most common is chest pain. So if they see an abnormality on an EKG, you will see that. Then there's things like anxiety, dizziness, uh, maybe heart palpitations. Uh, If the patient's found down and unconscious, they're trying to figure out exactly what's going on with that patient. And that's the best way to, to find if it's related to the heart or not. So how does a coder, what do they have to review in the patient's health record for the diagnosis Um, that the physician determined after the study of labs, tests, and other clinical findings to make sure that's accurate. Again, sometimes we're only getting elevated troponin levels, and that's a problem. I see that in a lot of the reports I code for um, some of my clients. So we have a service where we just code cath and interventional reports, and I'll see that, and it's really hard to diagnose. So if the patient is what we call ruled in for a heart attack, then that's what we'd be code, would that is what would be coded, that basically the acute MI. Any diagnosis that is identified to cause the elevation in the troponin level, that's secondary. So in absence of the cause identified, sometimes the physician will again just say elevated troponin. And that's where it does get tricky. So in the um, October 1st, 2020, the ICD-10 index, that now that takes precedence over all other publications, Um, when you're looking at the index, there was a new entry of troponin that was made under the main term of elevated within the ICD-10. So now it says elevated or elevation, semicolon troponin. Then it says uh, trans MNase level, R74.01, triglycerides, E78.1. If that's with high cholesterol, cholesterol also add E78.2, and then just generic troponin, R77.8. And then if you're looking specifically at what the uh, American Hospital Association or AHA coding clinic from second quarter 2019 is saying, that states to use R79.89 when you don't have any other information. So that advice would can be considered superseded since the index was changed to reflect appropriate coding. So yes, the AHA has information that you want to be mindful of, but then always look in your index and figure out what that um, direction is telling you when it comes to that elevated uh, troponin level or really any condition that is now giving you direction that may be, um, I don't want to say counterintuitive, but not something that you're getting a lot of information from 
your provider where they're giving you kind of a generic statement. So it's, it's just so important, especially as coders, to make sure that you're looking not only at current information, but also current guidelines. So AHA Coding Clinic is really important because they give us direction on how to use the ICD-10, but then the ICD-10-CM guidelines actually um, kind of over they, they kind of overreach what they're saying. So they're, they need to make, you need to make sure that that's where you start and then you can take guidance from, you know, an outside source or something to that effect. The Codecast podcast is also brought to you today by the Lincoln Lawyer, a Netflix original series. Lincoln Lawyer, go to netflix.com to watch today. I love that series, by the way. I was very excited when I found that they were sponsoring. So good. So let's switch gears just a little bit and we're going to look at uh, ENM payer challenges. And the reason I want to look at this is, you know, I've been teaching a lot of ENM 2023 rules. And the more I look at it, the more I think, what were they thinking with AMA? So here's an example. Here's a payer challenge and place a service challenge. So let's say you have a patient that arrives in the ER, place a service 23. The ER physician saw the patient initially, called in a specialist. So you'd have to use place a service 22 and then an outpatient or other office visit. I know some of you, there's a pull to want to code another uh, ER visit, but if the ER physician has already seen them, then many payers won't pay for two ER visits, same diagnosis, same date, etc. So your best option, especially as a specialist, um, to bill for an office or other outpatient visit with an outpatient place of service. But here's where the kicker is now that they've combined the um, the codes now for office and other, I'm sorry, for the initial hospital and observation. So you see the patient on 1-7, their ER, again, the, the specialist called in, used place of service two, 22, and then they use an office visit. Well, then what happens on 1-8 when the patient's admitted now with a designation of inpatient, physician rounds on that patient, are they allowed to bill for an uh, an inpatient visit or are they have to do they have to bill for a hospital visit? Well, based on what we've been talking about, it looks like they have to now bill with um, the subsequent hospital visits because they said it doesn't matter where you start. If you're coming back in, do not use that same visit because you've already consulted with that patient. Then it says patients considered still inpatient on one nine. Physician rounds again, place of service 21, that was also for 1-8, and now they're using again the subsequent hospital visits. And then here's where the kicker is, what about on the discharge day, let's say now the 10th? Patient is now downgraded to observation status and later discharged. Well, you can go back to the 99238 code because that's now a combined inpatient or observation code, but do you bill it with, so you bill it with a 22 place of service, but here's where it gets just really strange. It's tricky. First, you're going to bill with an office visit. Second, you're going to bill with a subsequent hospital. There was never an initial hospital, but that's because you never had a designation of observation. Outpatient by itself doesn't mean observation. You didn't have an inpatient, so you really didn't admit the patient until the next day. But can you use that admission? Well, not according to what we were reading, where it says, Basically, if a consultation is performed in anticipation of or related to an admission by another physician or other qualified healthcare professional, so the ER doc, and then the same consultant performs an encounter once the patient is admitted by the other physician or the qualified healthcare professional, then all you can report is the subsequent hospital. So 
it, it's just, it's very convoluted. It's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, this all pans out um, and what's going to happen uh, as far as trying to get those initial hospital visits when somebody else is billed for it or somebody else has, has a designation for it. And they use the word consultation from a previous encounter generically. So we know Medicare doesn't um, cover consultation. So if we're billing that office or other outpatient visit, isn't that considered the consult at the time in the ER? Oh my gosh, what a mess. And then if you look at further as far as uh, our subspecialists, so any subspecialist is absolutely not, they're just not winning in this. So let's say a patient is admitted for chest pain and shortness of breath, possible acute MI on the 10th of January. So the cardiologist A sees the patient and admits them, 99221 to 99223. That's easy. You still use your AI modifier according to the Medicare rules. Well, then the physician determines, let's say that this is an arrhythmia and calls in the EP physician, cardiologist B, and they're in the same group practice, well, what do they get to code now? Well, according to the new rules, they have to code the subsequent hospital, 99223 to 233 to 99231. So talk about a big change in reimbursement. That just isn't fair at all. So this is where I'm seeing that they're trying to cut payments quite a bit. And when I say they, I mean AMA with Medicare kind of in collusion for this. And it's it's going to be a payer nightmare. I just I can't I just can't believe what's going to happen in 2023. So the last thing I want to mention, hopefully, if you're listening today, you're listening as soon as it was posted, which would be on January 24th. And so on January 25th, which is Wednesday, I like to call that webinar Wednesday, um, the NSCHBC has a free webinar um, and uh, you want to check it out. So it is for RVUs and the different take on RVU. Uh, we know we have an updated, finally, an updated conversion factor for Medicare, $33 and uh, 0.8872 is what they finally came out with. But if you want to learn about RVUs, get a handout for that. Check that out. Go to nschbc.org. Go to the education part and put go to monthly webinars. You'll see that um, Maxine Lewis is going to be the one presenting. She's been in the industry for a number of years. And she's just going to talk about RVUs and how this process is going to work for Medicare for 2023. So check it out. It's free. When you pull the drop down screen, it'll ask you if you are a member and you can either say yes or no, or you can go to the next one that says I am a um, member or I'm a client member. I'm, I'm a client of a member, which would be me. So um, if you're listening in, so hopefully you will listen into that. It is free. So uh, hopefully that you'll find that helpful. I've also had a lot of inquiries for audits in the last couple of months and our 2023 schedule is filling up fast. So if you need to have a practice audit on ENM or procedural codes or anything as far as, you know, are you doing things correctly and are you capturing all your revenue, please contact me directly at terryfletchercpc at aol.com and we're happy to help. Also, I have my list of 2023 on-demand webinars. So everything from the No Surprise Act to the information blocking, cardiology, telehealth, you name it, it's up there. And so if you're needing a webinar on that, please take a look. All right, everyone, make it a great rest of your week, a great day, and we'll talk to you next time on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer, Joe Kuzma. Music producer, Assassin Music.